Our scripture lesson today is taken uh, from Psalm 90. It actually constitutes the whole of the psalm, so I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are consumed by your anger. By your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are 70 years or perhaps 80 if we are strong. Even then their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and prosper for us the work of our hands. Oh, prosper the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be back in this pulpit after a wonderful 10-day interfaith trip to Israel. With 68 people from Westminster, Agudas, Hakeem, from the surrounding community, and from other cities. We developed together a terrific sense of community and of learning. And I'm grateful for the interest and support this trip garnered. We'll be sharing our experiences and learnings in adult education on April the 19th and 26th. And I hope you all will plan to attend. And given the enthusiasm of this trip, I would imagine that we will be going again, but not this summer. (laughs) But thanks to all of you who participated. Next Sunday at our 11 o'clock worship service, our choir will present a cantata written by Johann Sebastian Bach. 
Its English title is God's Time is the Best Time is the Best of All Times. Bach wrote the cantata when he was 22 years old for the funeral of the mayor of the small city in which he was living at the time and studying music. The cantata pairs scriptural passages from the Old and New Testaments to provide an overall perspective on death, but more importantly, a perspective on life in face of the reality that we shall all one day pass away. For the next four Sundays, I plan to draw from some of the passages with which Bach wove together this cantata. They're reflected in the upcoming sermon titles, Count Our Days, Face to the Wall, Mine Eyes Have Seen Thy Salvation, and Today You Will See Me in Paradise. Let us pray. O oh God, during this season of Lent, may the words we read, hear, sing, say, pray, and recite, so become a part of our hearts and minds that as individuals and as a community, we may live fully in your days with the precious gift of life. For your time is the best of all times. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. On Wednesdays, 12 hours of flying from Tel Aviv to Dulles via Istanbul, I managed to read an article about a young Israeli writer whose name I had heard but with whose work I was not familiar. He is Yuval Noah Harari, a historian at Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Several years ago, he published a book in Israel known as A Brief History of Humankind and later published in America under the title Sapiens. Sapiens. It has sold over 12 million copies, making Harari a speaker in great demand by corporations, universities, world leaders, and the general public. Now, Harari's book is not, in its essence, optimistic. He believes humanity faces three great challenges, nuclear war, ecological collapse, and technological disruption. Contrary to the assumptions that many of us hold and want to hold, he does not necessarily believe that history has brought human progress. In fact, he believes that the scientific revolution in which we are currently living, in which we've been living for about 500 years, may well end history and start something completely different, bringing a time in which all the concepts that give meaning to our world, me, you, men, women, love, hate, will all become irrelevant. He writes, what we think of as eternal social structures, even family, money, religion, nations, are changing. 
Nothing is eternal. Nothing has enduring essence. Nothing is completely satisfying. Now, Harari is sometimes criticized for refusing to compromise the nature of his big ideas with involvement in politics or with policy prescriptions addressing the problems he has outlined. Yet while his message can sound dark and pessimistic, during the years in which he has been developing these ideas, he has sought himself to live fully and creatively as a human being, searching many avenues for deeper meaning to life, from right-wing nationalism to observant Jewish practice to intense study and finally to coming out as a gay man. In his searching, it occurs to me that he bears some resemblance to the biblical character Kohelet, the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, whose search leads him ultimately to a call to remember your creator in the days of your youth. Harari's search has not yet led him to such faith. But for the past decade, Harari has spent several weeks each year on a silent meditation retreat, usually in India. Once home, he begins each day with an hour of meditation and a half hour of swimming. He describes the serenity achieved through meditation as so profound that those who spend their lives in frenzied pursuit of pleasant feelings can hardly imagine it. In addition, Harari declines dinner invitations involving more than eight people so that he can listen, learn, and absorb from each person around him. At age 45, he now describes himself as Pinocchio freed from my strings, a real boy. Now, discovering this writer a few days before being scheduled to preach on Psalm 90, I found similarities between the darkness of Harari's assessment of history and the psalmist's assessment of the universe. This is a pretty dark part of the sermon, so just you know, fasten your seat belts. Don't expect to smile or be happy or to be uplifted, but we won't end there, I promise. The psalm begins with a beautiful affirmation of life originating with God. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. But then the psalm takes a sharp turn, describing how small and insignificant a human life is. You turn us back to dust and you say, turn back. O mortals, time, which is so precious to us, seems insignificant to God. 
For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night, an hour long. With almost cold, uncaring precision, our life comes to an end, again under God. You sweep them away. They are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. But in the evening, it fades and withers. Not only in this psalm is life depicted as short and insignificant, but it is marked as well by a deep dread, a deep-seated internal anxiety that we harbor concerning our inability to please God, concerning God's anger. For we are consumed by your anger. And by your wrath, we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your counsel, in the light of your countenance, in the light of your face. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and our years come to an end like a sigh. These words from one of our favorite books in the Bible, from one of our favorite hymns, sound no more helpful than Harari's darkest thoughts. We are a far cry from the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Are the ancient Hebrew psalmist and the contemporary Israeli philosopher saying the same thing? Is life ultimately dark, insignificant, meaningless, and unnoticed? Perhaps the psalmist and the philosopher are in agreement on this matter. But after expressing the insignificance of the human being created by God and yet marked by sin and fearful of God's wrath, it is the psalmist who makes a turn to hope. So teach us to count our days, the psalmist says. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a wise heart. The psalmist seems to be saying that no matter how bleak or insignificant a human life seems to be, no matter how bleak and insignificant the world seems to be, the most important thing for us is to seek wisdom, to seek a wise heart, to seek a heart that begins with awe and reverence and respect for the Lord as the first principle and as the animating force for life. This then leads the psalmist to burst into a warm, personal, energetic prayer. Turn, O Lord, have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have labored under evil. Who can argue with this desire on the part of the psalmist to see redemption and hope? That is why we are here. 
That is why we come to church Sunday after Sunday. That is why we listen to or sing music or turn to scripture. We are searching, 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 searching for, for redemption, for hope. Who can argue with that? We're searching for a prayer to experience the tender compassion of God. A prayer to experience deep human satisfaction in the face of God's unending commitment to us. A prayer for gladness for as many days as evil and suffering have afflicted us. That is what brings us here. The end of the article on Harari featured a Ukrainian woman who was born the same week as Chernobyl in 1986. When I was a child, she writes, I dreamed of being an artist, but then politics captured me. She studied law and went into photojournalism. In 2013 and 14, she photographed protests in Kiev where more than a hundred people were killed on the streets. You always expect everything will change, will get better, she said, and it doesn't. In the death of her idealism and hope, she turned to Sapiens to read. It revealed to her that she was one of the billions and billions of people that lived and didn't have any impact, didn't leave any trace. Upon finishing the book, she said to herself, you kind of relax. You don't feel this pressure anymore. It's okay to be insignificant. She has since disengaged from politics. She spends more time now on the creative photography she knows rather than the photojournalism through which she served. She says that this has led her to be more compassionate toward people around her, though she's much less interested in their opinions. I can choose to be involved, she said, not to be involved. No one cares, and I don't care either. This photojournalist's withdrawal from the world and from politics into her own private creativity, her own private sanctuary, is understandable. It is understandable considering the slaughter on the streets that she witnessed and photographed for the world. But her withdrawal into sanctuary, into self, into safety, is also tragic. The bullets that took the lives of those on the street took her journalistic spirit and willingness and courage to report the terrible facts to the world through her photography. 
The psalmist understands the cruelty that she came to know in the universe. In the morning, the grass flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening, it fades and withers. But even with that understanding, even with that compassionate sympathy for her withdrawal, the psalmist still issues a call, teach us to count our days so that we may gain a wise heart. And the psalmist closes with a prayer of promise that serves as a charge to us as a continued call to action and to involvement and to service and to hope. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands. Establish thou it. My friends, as a person of faith, I can only say to you that in the fulfillment of our tasks and our responsibilities, in the use of our gifts and commitments towards our callings, we will be glad for as many days as we have been afflicted. For as many days. For God's time is best of all times. Amen.